Welcome to Unfolding Words. This is episode number 84, This Ain't No Ordinary Flood. My name is Antracia Moorings and welcome to my weekly podcast where I share biblical truth to offer life for your walk and life for your soul. If you are enjoying the podcast, please share with a friend on social media or send them a text, an email, let them know that this is a podcast that they may be interested. I would greatly appreciate it. So last week we ended with Noah's complete obedience to God with regards to building the ark. Not once do we see him questioning God's instructions. In fact, there's no record of Noah saying anything. And we also noted that there was an overarching theme of the flood where grace is shown to Noah which is seen in the literary structure of the narrative, the chiasm, as well as the repeated use of the word grace. And this chapter that we're in today, chapter number seven, marks the start of the flood narrative. So an interesting fact is that a flood legend was part of the mythology of all or most ancient cultures, including the Babylonians, the Peruvians, Hindus, and the Chinese, among others. And I remember when I was in college, I had to take a required world religion class where I discovered that many of the cultures of the world had a flood narrative. And I was floored because they were nothing like the flood narrative that I knew of in the Bible. There was the basic facts, but a lot of variations. And anthropologists say that a myth is often the faded memory of a real event. So what happens with a myth is that details are often added, lost, or mixed up in the telling and the retelling. But the seed of truth is still intact. So when two separate cultures have the same myth in their body of folklore, their ancestors must have either experienced that same event or they both descended from a common ancestor, which itself experienced that event, which would explain the flood narrative in so many of the cultures of the world, which would have been true because the flood was a worldwide historical event. Chapter seven opens with an invitation from God to Noah. It says in Genesis 7, 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. This is the reason God gives for commanding Noah to enter into the ark. And this is the first occurrence of the offer to come, that offer from God to mankind to come in the Bible. And it's a theme that we're going to see throughout scripture that ends in Revelation 22 and 17. So with this command to come, God extends an invitation. He also offers a perfect provision. Additionally, he offers provision and protection in the midst of sin and judgment. There is no in-between. You either accept the invitation or you don't. You're either in the ark or you're out, which we see clearly in this chapter. Noah's invited because he lived in stark contrast to the world around him. Remember that the imagination of man was only evil continually. But Noah, whose name means rest, which means that he gave mankind a rest from the continual evil with this kind of reboot of the world that we're going to see in the following chapters. Noah's righteousness wasn't based on his goodness, which we can often think that it is, but his righteousness was based on his faith in God and his complete obedience. And in verse number two, the commands continue. It says, take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, 
and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. The seven pairs of clean animals will later be for animal sacrifices, which we'll see as they exit the ark in chapter 8. And the additional animals were for replenishing the earth. Verse number four, God instructs Noah to go into the ark, but the flood won't start for another seven days. So this seven days is an opportunity for people to repent, even though God is already fed up with the sinfulness of mankind and has been for some time. And we know that God gave a seven day warning before the flood came, which means that Noah was warned about it on the 10th day of the second month. So if you're track, you can track all of this chronologically, if you pay attention to all of the timestamps that are given in this narrative. So it's highly likely that the warning and the flood both came on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, which follows the Sabbath judgment from earlier in Genesis. So many commentators believe that the judgment that happened with Adam and Eve happened on that Sabbath day, the day that they were given rest. Adam and Eve received their judgment for the first sin judged on the Sabbath the seventh day. And likewise, Noah's flood was a seventh day judgment. So Noah enters the ark by faith when there is nary a sign of rain and life is continuing as usual as he does this. Matthew 24 and 37 says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. And it continues for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So despite not fully understanding, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah is now 600 years old. But when this all started, he was 500. We see this in Genesis chapter 5 and 32. So that's how we get the 100 years that it took to build the ark. And verse number seven says, they enter. This is the blessing of a godly father because his family, his children and their wives were able to enter into the ark as well. Not only are they saved from judgment, but they see Noah's example of never going before God, never running ahead of God's instructions. Noah waits for God to tell him what to do instead of deciding for himself what he should do. And with this act, Noah leaves behind all that he knows. He leaves behind a world of sin to enter the ark, which represents salvation. This is a picture of what happens for us when we're saved. We leave behind that old world to enter into God's salvation. And interesting, even the animals obey God's word. Some animals have a migration instinct, and this could have been used to God's advantage, or God could have simply ordered those animals into the ark. Either way, Noah didn't have to do a thing when it came to entering into the ark of salvation. It was solely God's work. Verse number 10, God is true to his word. And here we see that after seven days, the flood starts. And we'll see this reference to seven days more times in the flood account. And so don't you wonder what the mood was in the ark? We don't know because it doesn't say, but it must have been a somber time because they didn't know what to expect, but they knew that they had to obey God and enter this ark because of the coming flood. And then verse number 11 gives a timestamp. This is proof that this was a real event in history. Historians say that this was during the spring. 
And since the Jewish religious calendar was kind of restructured between the second month for Noah may have been around October for our calendar. And the fact that the flood comes on the second month falls in line with the theme of the second born replacing the firstborn in scripture. The first creation was the firstborn in the beginning of the first month. And now this new creation through Noah will replace the old creation. And this is another theme that we're going to see continually throughout scripture, especially in the book of Genesis. So in Genesis 7, 11, this is the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month, the 17th day of the month. And this is when the fountains of the great deep broke apart. And then the, the flood lasts for 40 days and nights and rain covered the earth. We see this in Genesis 7 and 11. In Genesis 7 and 17 and 20, this is the third month, the 27th day of the month. And then in Genesis 7, 24 through chapter 8, there are 150 days, including the initial 40 days, where the water rose to the highest level covering the whole earth. This happens in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month. Now, notice all of the details of the flood. All the fountains of the great deep burst forth. And the breaking up of the fountains of the deep gives us a picture of massive earthquakes that are releasing large quantities of water such that we can't even imagine, which probably produced incredible tsunamis and violent storms that we probably have never witnessed the likes of. There was no man-made shelter that could have withstood the enormity of this flood that God produced on the earth. The bursting forth is what scientists say created the continents that now exist today, because prior to this, they believed that land was one piece unbroken. And it says that floodgates were opened in the heavens and floodgates is this word Aruba, which means a chimney or a window. So imagine a hole in the clouds and water literally pouring through the hole or the opening in humongous amounts. So water is filling the world from two directions, both up and down. And Psalms 106 verses 6 and 7 describes that how the waters stood above the mountains. And the eighth verse is properly translated that the mountains rose up and the valleys sank down during this flood. And in verse 11, there's a repeating of previous verses that emphasize that during the judgment, Noah is kept safe because the Lord God shut him in. It wasn't a work that Noah did again. This is all God's doing, this work of salvation for Noah and his family. God alone shut the door. What a sight that must have been. And the scriptures translate this shutting in as him being covered round about. Such security that God offers to him. And we see this echoed in the New Testament in Matthew 25 and 10. And it says, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. So it's the same picture that we get echoed in the New Testament. Anthropologists say that the waters covered the highest mountain by at least 22 feet. So we can imagine today some of the worst catastrophes that we've had. And the worst that we know of in the United States is Hurricane Katrina, which peaked at a 28 foot storm surge that flooded six to 12 miles inland, which resulted in more than a thousand deaths. Then in Indonesia, there was a a tsunami in 2004 where there was no warning given, 
where more than 200,000 people died. The flood surpasses all of these because it was a worldwide event that killed every person on earth except those who were in the ark. In this flood, all flesh died, everyone, animals included, except sea life. So if animals were left, they would have outnumbered the people, Noah and his family, when they came off the ark. So there's wisdom in God's judgment and sort of a kindness shown towards mankind with God killing all of the animals in the flood. But with Noah taking two of every kind, the animal population will be able to be replenished after they get off of the ark. So as I mentioned, this is not a local flood. It was global because the scriptures say, and the waters were mighty and increased exceedingly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters and the waters were mighty exceedingly upon the earth. And all the high mountains were covered, which were under all the heavens. Fifteen cubits upward, the waters were mighty and the mountains were covered and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, birds and cattle and living things, and of every creeper which creeps upon the earth, and every man. Notice all the absolutes that I'm emphasizing. All which had the breath spirit of life in their nostrils, and all which was in the dry ground died. And he destroyed all living things which were upon the face of the ground. God's destruction from man to cattle to creepers to the birds of heaven included everything, and they were destroyed from the earth not just from a local place, but the whole earth. Verse 23 reiterates again the effects of the judgment and how Noah was able to remain alive. So remember the book of Genesis and how the earth began. The earth was formless and consisted of this watery deep and the spirit of God fluttered over the surface of that deep. If you remember back all the way to creation in chapter number one. So now we see God restarting creation again. The world is again covered in water. And now the ark, which is a picture of Jesus Christ, floats above the surface of the deep. The imagery is similar to draw a point for us. This is a restart of the world, which is made necessary because of the sinfulness of mankind. The flood pictures the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Noah entered that ark by faith alone. He didn't know what to expect. He didn't know what else to do except to obey God. And he did all of this by faith. The waters buried the earth in judgment, but lifted Noah and his family up in safety. Same with us. When we are immersed in baptism, we rise up into the new life out of the waters. Isn't that a beautiful picture that God is painting for us through the flood? So we need to thank God for what he's done through us through salvation. Sometimes we have been so far removed from baptism because it happened so long ago for us that we don't often see the miracle that it is in our lives. But take the time to think back and meditate on the work of salvation that God did and the picture that he paints for us of salvation through our baptism into him. Take a praise break for that one. So that's it for this week of Unfolding Words. Next week, we're going to dive into chapter eight and a whole new world. And we're going to see, will sin still reign? Thank you so much for tuning into Unfolding Words. I'll see you right back here next week. And until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.